This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Jenny. And we're going to talk about a 1913 novel called Gosling's uh, World of Women by J.D. Beresford. Mm-hmm. And it's an... A new audiobook from Dreamscape Audio. Mm-hmm. Right. And the narrator is Matthew Brenner, who I, you, you did listen to it, right? As well as Sweden? I did, yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought he was pretty terrific. What did you think? I, I thought so too. And I think I was even more impressed when I started to read the print and realized how much of it is written in the kind of dialect <laughs> that they're trying to get to come Oh, across. yeah. It's hard oh, to yeah. read. It's hard to read that way. Yeah, I mean, English stuff, I mean, you go 20 feet in England and the dialects completely change. And mm-hmm. there's quite a bit of mixing going on um, with the different classes and stuff. Yeah. So um, it was pretty impressive. And, you know, there's some some strange aspects of this book are it's 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 pretty long. It's eight hours, but um, it feels much. Uh, I don't know. It feels like it's it's spread out. But actually, what's happening is very interesting. Like, it, it's, it, it seems kind of casual uh, with what's happening. But if you actually parse down to what is about to happen in every scene, hmm. it's actually pretty scary. Like, I was just re-listening to parts of it, different parts of it. And one of the one of the scenes was when they're running out of water. Hmm. <laughs> um, and he the, the husband, like, he's saying, I'm going to have to teach somebody a lesson. Or he's thinking this, and then he goes to the to the walking stick to get a walking stick. He's going to beat his family. Right. <laughs> that doesn't actually happen, but it's like it's so close to happening. But because of the way it's told, it's very sort of, and we're very English and we're moving on. Well, <laughs> and the other thing that happens in that scene is he leaves the room and his wife goes, well, he's not going to tell me what to do. And she goes and bathes in the water that's left over. Uh, <laughs> that they kind of needed to live off of. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's it's interesting that the title is a world of women because it's it's not really. It's sort of focusing on what would happen in this. Oh, maybe we should talk about what this book's about. Maybe what we should. So on the on the description, it it goes like this: A global plague has decimated England's male population. And the once predictable Gosling family is now free to fulfill its long frustrated desires. Hmm. Um, hmm. Yeah, I guess that's true. And then it says, when Mr. Gosling leaves his his family to pursue his sexual vices, the Gosling daughters who lack experience and self-independence find shelter in a matriarchal commune. However, their new life is threatened by the community elders' views on three, on free love. Yeah, is that the book you read? Because that's not the book I read. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean that that is actually in there. I guess <laughs> that makes it sound like like that's sort of like it makes you get uh, maybe read the book. Yeah. Um, and it all of that is in there. It's just not what it feels like at all. Mm-mm. No, and in fact. I'm not sure that the family is freed up to do what they'd like to do. I think that the mother and the daughters would have preferred to have life stay the way it was, just with a little bit more money to spend. (laughs) That makes sense. Um, You know, there's a lot of interesting things happening sort of 
there there are a few scenes where we get this other character named Thrail, who who is a he's a house guest, mm-hmm. house guest of the Goslings. He's my favorite. He is he's a pretty interesting character, and he's kind of like um he's a he's the hero character, although he doesn't really do anything massively heroic. No, he just. He just sort of is smart and... But you read his thoughts throughout the book, right? There are these sections. Mm -hmm. I can't remember exactly what they're called, but it's like from his journal or from his head. Mm -hmm. um, Where you get... get flexors. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I like that perspective better because the problem with the Gosling's family is that they're in denial. And so if... They're supposed to be representative of English people in general. Absolutely. But if you were trying to understand what was going on through their perspective, you'd never really know. Um, And actually, I have this little quote, if you don't mind. Go for it. That's about that from the near the beginning. And I think it's from Thrail's journal, so it makes sense. (laughs) The attitude of the Goslings faithfully reflected that of the immense majority of English people, the faith and the hygienic and scientific resources which were at the disposal of the authorities, and the implicit trust in the vigilance and energy of those authorities were sufficient to allay any fears that were not too imminent. Basically, it goes on to say they just expected that the authorities would take care of it. (laughs) They know what they're doing. Yeah, and it would never touch them. Uh, yeah, when when the, when the uh, the when the gas gets turned off, um, the father Gosling, he 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 says, "Well, it'll be on in the morning or something right. like that." And then, Things are for poor then, people. <laughs> yeah, and then he says, "You know, uh, if worst comes to worst, to himself. If worst comes to worst, I could always write a letter to the newspaper." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, that, that'll get him. Um, or the mother's yeah. reaction when her daughters finally venture out. And they mm-hmm. report that there is nobody there. And she's like, well, surely, like, I mean, let's go. What's what's the name of the road with all the shops? Mm-hmm. Surely, you know, someone's in business. Just go there. And, and that's where civilization will stay. <laughs> yeah. Just has no ability to fathom a world like that. The mother's story is pretty interesting because she starts off as sort of a matronly lady, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sort of the wise mother goose over these these gosling children and then she 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 basically rapidly ages it becomes senile yeah her brain can't it, handle it yeah and it, i mean it, it i'm not sure that that's totally impossible but um what is ultimately her fate i've kind of forgotten do you remember I don't remember her actually dying, but she kind of gets shoved into a corner of a room while yeah. the daughters figure out ways to she sort of make money and shuffles off the stage. Yeah. She? Yeah. I don't think she's actually dead at the end of the novel or anything. No, but, but you know, she's headed there. Yeah. Well, uh, it's I, I was surprised. It's, so it's very gentle, this book. Hmm. I mean, like I, I was saying, you know, there's this there's this guy with a cane about to beat his family. Um, it doesn't feel like, you know, a lot of violence is happening. Right. I, I think the most cruel thing that happens in the book, other you know, other than seeing dead bodies and stuff, which is not, you know, graphically described very well, is um, when the when the Gosling daughter's been sent out to get um, get some uh, cig- cigarettes or cigars or something oh, for her father. Yeah, and like everybody's dead outside. Father <laughs> says, "We don't need food. We don't need water. I need cigarettes. Go get me some tobacco." And he he doesn't want to go because it it affects uh, men. Mm-hmm. So he sends out the daughter, and the daughter's like crying, 
and she goes out and she she goes down the street to the tobacconist it's closed she goes in breaks in or whatever and then she's loading her bag full of she loads a bag or a box full of uh, cigars and on her way out there's a, a menacing figure in the doorway and that menacing figure is just another person a lady who survived the plague and she says what do you got there and she digs through her bag he says, you stupid slut, what are you going to have for it? <laughs> Where, where's the food? We're all starving. Why, why you must be crazy. Get out of here, you slut. And it was like, well, that was kind of harsh. <laughs> but she's, that's just compared to the rest of the book is very gentle. I mean, this is the most gentle apocalypse I've ever seen. Right. Well, by the time the Goslings actually leave London, because they had a stockpile of food, most of... I think the number later in the book is 70% of the people in town, including the women and children, would have died just yeah. by starving to death. Um, you know, all the bodies have, like, been eaten up by vultures and stuff. So if they see them at all, they see skeletons. Yeah. It's very unlike – I was thinking of the stand where the only way to get from one place to the other is through the highway tunnels and they have to walk on people's heads that explode. <laughs> oh, God. You know, because it's so graphic and it's so – disgusting and and here it's like just empty and you know there isn't anything for them to have or to eat but that seems to be the worst thing now uh, i think you know that he's trying this this plague thing is it's not unlike a lot of like later plagues like the stephen king sort of plague or uh i don't know earth abides or like basically they're they're trying to get the the people to be on their own and into a, into a sort of, uh, um, all against all sort of war thing so that they can find a new society or something like that. And I think that that is going on here, but it's more like he wants to see what effect is having on women specifically. I mean, that's yes. why subtitles like that, a world of women and it is there, but it's not, I mean, he doesn't kill off all the men, right? He kills off... Um, all but three? <laughs> yeah. That we know well, of. I think yeah. it says there's 1,500 total that survived, but we don't right. see them. There's, there's, um, afterwards, there's, there's the guy who, who has a, uh, I don't know, like 50 wives or something right. in another commune, right? Yeah. And then there's Thrail, who is, uh, I believe he's asexual. Mm-hmm. He said he had one, he had one little dalliance with a, a coquette, and it made him feel terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but then later on, he, he comes around. Um, and then there's the gosling father, who he basically does the same thing right, as the uh, as the other non-scene male, right? He leaves his family. Right, and the, he starts being like the provider. He starts going out and getting the things that they need. And he ends up at a farm. <laughs> yeah, and he just disappears and doesn't come back. I think they think he dies of the plague, but I think right. we're supposed to think he's just still hanging out with those women he's on that there. farm. He's still there, yeah. <laughs> and Which was not very nice of him. <laughs> no, he just abandoned his family. Yeah, and his, his, his daughters don't know anything about providing for themselves. And I would blame him for that. Well, I don't think you're supposed to blame him. I think I you're supposed to... Well, yeah, uh, I mean, that's the proximal, you know, cause, but the actual, I mean, the, the, I think the critique that this book is, it's doing a lot of stuff, but 
But I think the critique that this book is trying to work on is actually saying women are equal to men. Um, we're not treating them equal. In fact, we're wasting all their value, not value. We're wasting their potential yeah. by by making them uh, subordinate to men. Mm-hmm. And and that's shown later in the commune, I think, fairly well. Although it's 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 not a you know women are awesome, men suck at all. I don't think. I think it's just saying that women are totally underutilized in in a society that could very well use them. Right. And Eileen, the person who used to be Lady Eileen, I think, mm-hmm. at the end she said that marriage never really protected women. They mm-hmm. were capable of protecting themselves if they'd been given a chance. And what yeah, a world of slaves it used to be. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it is very, it's very much of the, um, time period that the book is written. It's, it's about, um, the emancipation of women and it's about the, you know, women getting the vote and taking control of their own, their own destiny, kind of. Right. It's funny that it's written by a man. Um, but on the other hand, uh, you know, this J.D. Beresford guy, Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't even sure it was a guy. I wasn't I mean, either at first. You're not going to know, right? But apparently it's John Davies, and there's a picture of him on Wikipedia showing he's a he's a dude, <laughs> as far as I can tell. Well, men can be feminists, too. It's true. It's true. It's just, um, like, why is this why is this a world of women if it's... Why does it take a man to write a book about a world of women? And I know we're going to do a show on... Uh, a woman doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but Next week. the thing that, I mean, I assumed it was a woman actually at first because of the subtitle. Hmm. Um, I thought, Oh, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a, uh, a woman writing about the time period and that'll be cool. Um, but actually I think the reason why he's this JD Beresford guy is so, is so um, into it is because he's reading really smart people his his um it's actually name dropped in this book his hero thrail is i think modeled on uh a guy named hg wells absolutely did you uh did you think he was uh, cuz i mean it's name dropped in there yeah he mentions it specifically but it's also it's just because a lot of authors during this time period seem to really draw on his ideas absolutely cuz you know we read I jack london you. and Mm-hmm. Who else have we read recently that was in that time period? They all seem to do it. So it's true. Um, that's kind of the thread that seems to be pulling all these together, really. And the other thing that was going on, this is what I was thinking of in the 1910s, is the Bolshevik revolutions and everything that came before and after. Yeah. Um, because I recently read this book, Mastering the Art of Soviet Cooking. And it's oh. kind of, it goes decade by decade about the Soviet. Um, potatoes. Yeah, well, and then it, it just talks about different things related to women in the kitchen, too. And so there, there's this part in there that talks about the whole um, campaign to equate being a housewife with being a slave. They have these great posters because, mm-hmm. you know, they were trying to build the workforce and the workforce right. needed to include the women. Um, so I was thinking about that, this this whole story through, too. It kind yeah. of feeds into that same idea. Um, when When the plague does hit Russia from China... The uh, the Soviet or not Soviet I guess it's the Imperial Russian uh, uh, newspapers are totally suppressed right they they can control 
the story better than anyone else. Uh-huh. When when the story hits England, um, and Thrail's trying to say, look, it's a lot more serious than everybody's saying. Um, it's not suppression. It's it's um, oh, we got other things. We got other fish to fry. This government's got to go. Right. <laughs> we're working on some legislation right now about the church. That's the only thing that matters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And actually, I mean, that's a pretty interesting the anti disestablishment bill. That's a, that's a I mean, that's a fairly radical change as well. And you can sort of see why the um, but that's a very Wellesian sort of perspective as well. Mm-hmm. Whereas you, you know, these simple little human matters that are actually, you know, they're nothing compared to nature. But in our minds, they're m- massive. They're the main focus of everything, right? It's like this government's got to go. They're trying to bring down the the relationship between the church and the state. Hmm. And and the uh, meanwhile, um, when 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 the uh, plague hits Germany, it says, "Well, it must be really serious." Look, God's trying to tell us not to do this disestablishment bill. They it takes, and, and I mean. Beresford's making fun of it, but it's actually, I mean, it is true. The, the, the fundamentalist, uh, religious people in this book, they, they, they say, well, it takes a, you know, a few million Chinamen to get our attention to die. It takes a few thousand Russians, a few hundred thousand Germans. When will this government learn? Hmm. One Englishman. <laughs> One Englishman must die for, mm-hmm. you know, so, so it, it, there's so many critiques in this book. Um, it's not, it's, it's really not focused on the one, you know, sort of issue that you would sort of see if it was a, it, it's very thoughtful, I think is, is mm-hmm. probably the way to put it. You know, another criticism I caught in here, which kind of surprised me is, um, kind of intellectualism. Mm-hmm. There's this point where they first, they stay with those three women for one night Mm-hmm. And that they send them down the road to where they end up staying. And she has that long conversation on the porch while the lady smokes her cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And she just, she asked her, well, I want to learn about these things. I don't know anything about farming. Can you teach me? Do you have books? And she mm. told her, you don't want books. Keep your eyes open and think. <laughs> yeah. I just thought that was a an interesting little angle. Yeah, well, uh, it's it's true. And if you look at Thrail, right, he is an intellectual, mm-hmm. but he and a writer. But how did he get his wisdom that the you know the newspaper editors can't get and the politicians can't get that that he's got, right? He worked on every continent. It's it, yep. it says every continent. Um, he says every co- every country except for Europe, which I thought was pretty funny. I think they meant continent, <laughs> probably not Antarctica. But yeah, he he worked as like a miner and a panhand. I don't know. He he worked at you know on the sea and on the land and in the trees and everywhere. So he yeah. he he understands the world. He knows how everything works. He can when when later on you know the tractor's not working, he's the only one who can make it work. But that I think is exactly like he represents sort of a certain kind of man, right? So the, the man who can do, um, all the things that men can do without being like, uh, I don't know, like an asshole. They don't make him an asshole. That's the one thing <laughs> men can do. I guess women could do that too, but, hmm. um, it's the one thing he, he doesn't do that sort of exemplifies men because when he comes to the farm, the women totally need him. They don't just need him for, you know, sperm. They need him for 
all the manual labor that they have no clue how to do. Right. You know, replacing the light bulbs, take out the trash <laughs> kind of has that tone to well, it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's more, it's, you know, I mean, it's not, it, it's not, you're putting it too simply. It's like, <laughs> you know, we don't know when to plant the crops. Right. Right. We don't know how to uh, preserve the crops. We don't know how to uh, do I mean, there there were actually some women who did, right? Right. The women that would have grown up doing that, I think, would have had a pretty good sense of it. But yeah, so they're, many they're, of the people were former that's Londoners. That's right. And there's something weird going on with the Jewish, uh, the not Jewish, the Jewess character. Yeah, I gotta love I'm that sure. name. <laughs> I'm not sure what's going on with what the critique there is, um, because she is she is kind of. I think we're supposed to think she's shady. It's not really clear to me what we're supposed to think about what she's doing. It seems to me she's trying to survive and she's got, she's, she's got some bad traits, but she's also got some very good traits. She's trying to survive without doing any work. As far as I can right. tell, everyone yeah. that she stays with has to kick her out. And in the end she becomes the farm manager and right. gets fat. I mean, <laughs> I don't really it's, know. It's, it's right. And so it, it's like, it, is this, is this, is like, uh, everything's cool. Uh, women are cool, but not Jews. <laughs> it might be that, but it, it wasn't very harsh. It was more like just casually racist. And <laughs> it could have been it. Yeah. I think it was, I mean, everything in here is pretty soft when it comes to the crit, the critique, right? Like it's, it's, um, it, 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 it we don't really, have anyone saying anyone is an idiot except for that like what i was saying that one scene with the slut with you know like this is a young girl she's not a slut it's just an insult word right but i think it all goes back to the the idea that beresford's working with which is goes back to i mean this is a weird book because it's about fashion right you see how much talk about fashion is in this book Mm -hmm. i mean if, if I've never read a science fiction novel that talks about fashion as much as I don't know if I've ever read one that talks about fashion at all other than <laughs> this one. Um, well, but, but it serves it, a purpose. It does serve a purpose. And it, I mean, I think he's, 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 he's pointing to something that really does make sense and, and is there. Right. So, and it has a, because they're so focused on it at the beginning and it consumes so much of their time and their money. Mm-hmm. It's a really nice contrast later when the, the daughters are looking for food that first time mm-hmm. in London and they come across they try all of that clothing with them. Right. Right. And they, they go into a clothing store and spend hours like trying things on that they would never have been able to try on or buy before mm-hmm. because it's almost like it, it's like a comfort to them. Like something familiar, something, yeah. and then you, you. But we see as the readers how shallow it is. It's always been shallow, but it's mm-hmm. even worse when they're wasting their time instead of looking for food because they just can't believe their luck. <laughs> but uh, near the end, um, the clothing is. I mean, it, it, the focus seems to shift away from clothing. Obviously, after after they, you know, they're on the road long enough. Right? Talks about how how dreary their clothing is getting. Um, even though they're still hauling extra clothes around, but the, at the end, there's, there's a description of the clothing that the women are wearing and it's pants. Hmm. <laughs> it's, um, they're wearing, I think there's a scene where, uh, it, there's someone who's, whose clothing looks like nature. Hmm. 
Hmm. And it wasn't to say that she was naked. It was just to say that it was like it was browns and and greens, um, probably because they just sort of turned that color, right? They from not washing them or whatever. Well, it was, and all it, the clothing that's available is probably left over from all the men who have died. Yeah, so I their think clothing the, is drab or the work clothing. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but it's interesting because uh, Thrale talks. Uh, I mean, I think Thrale is sort of the Beresford mouthpiece a lot of the times for the ideas that are going on. And you notice also Thrale has his sort of his uh, Dr. Watson character. Mm-hmm. He's saying, you're awesome. I, I want to be like you. Um, <laughs> he's saying, you're so smart. You're so mighty, <laughs> he says. Um, the That that character is there and he he's sort of the f- listening to what, what the Thrale character is saying. And Thrale's saying, trying to explain why women care about fashion. And in that, I think he's got a pretty interesting analysis. He's saying that, that women, uh, want to attract mates. That's why they have clothing, but that's not the main focus. That's there, but it's not the main focus. And the reason is because they're more worried about what other women think than what they care, think about what men think. Right. And, I I think that's true. I think that that's exactly what's going on. And then he he even says something even more interesting. He says, and it's begun to go into men. And in fact, you, my friend, he says, you even uh, feel this way. And he says, well, I do like my collars stiff. It gives one a, <laughs> gives one a certain you know feeling. And he says. Um, you know, that certain feeling is, is sort of an artificial version of, of the real thing. And, and, and then they talk about how, you know, if you go out for a, a big bike ride, it'll make you feel like everything's new and you're strong. Right. Right. Get out of the city. <laughs> get out of the city, get, get out from behind that desk and you'll be, everything will be new and strong. And then I they do get out of the city. <laughs> get out of the city. <laughs> they have to. Uh, what happens to the friend? I think he's dead, right? I think he is, yeah. We never hear from him again. Yeah. Well, oh. and Sorry. I, I don't know. I was trying to figure out if we were supposed to understand why the people that survived survived, but I don't I don't think you know. I, I mean, I think I know why the goslings survive is because they are the representatives of the, you know, sort of English society that survives. It's mostly women, and then there's the one father who's the the lech uh the the suppressed lech right um, but also i mean there's a, a line to describing um both the the father and the mother when thrail's talking about that family he says i saw the god in the father i saw yeah. the god in the mother and i was like what it was because they were walking along the river Mm-hmm. And the father says, I suppose it was clean once, banks and sand and so on, before all this muck came. Yeah. And then at the end, the author spends a lot of time talking about how the world is already kind of transitioning back to nature. Mm-hmm. Kind of like um, Sterling or Earth Abides or all those different books do later on. Um, but also, I mean, he undercuts it at the end, too, which uh, I, right. I was kind disappointed in the ending what did you think yeah <laughs> it seems like a sort of a cop-out right because 
uh, I, I'm not sure what's going on in America. I, I assumed that it was just like the UK and just like everywhere else. But it sounds like that might not be the case. Right, because the ocean liner shows up. Yeah, and it was a British ship that had gone there and it, I, I was I was thinking that maybe they were out at sea while it was all happening. And oh, actually, that's hey. not a bad idea. But yeah. did any women back then know how to run a ship? <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought it was like a, a ship full of men that was out in the water. Right. Um, but see, that, that's the thing. This story could never work now because you wouldn't have all these women sitting around wringing their heads not knowing what to no. do. No, no, no. It's completely of its time. There's no way this book could work at any other time. Um, It is very, I mean, is that why it was forgotten? I I don't, because it's a really well-written book. Right. There's no no reason this this novel should have been forgotten. It's, I guess the, the, because J.D. Beresford is not the name like H.G. Wells, um, the book doesn't get the attention. But it's it's up there with uh, it's in the it gives you the sort of the same ideas, same sort of um, critiques. I think that Wells is doing it. You know, he did write a whole uh, Beresford wrote a whole book on H.G. Wells in 1915, just a couple of years later. So hmm. he, he basically goes through all of the novels and uh, some of the short stories and, you know, says, you know, look at this, look at this. And, um, I mean, that, that was while Wells is still alive and still writing books. It's, it'd be like a, uh, it'd be like somebody writing a book about Neil Gaiman while he's still alive. Well, I don't know. There are some things about the book, though, that make it kind of unsuccessful for me. And sure. We'll I think see. the way it ties everything up so neatly and everyone's going to yeah. be okay that's still alive, it, it kind of makes, it, it just doesn't have the gravity that it would have otherwise. I mean, yes, all these people died, but it's a temporary thing, and they're going to figure out a new way to be. It's clear that they already have order in their society and everything. They kick out the troublemakers, and, you know, there's just no conflict in the end. Well, I think yeah, the ending is terrible. Um, but, uh, in, uh, well, it's actually not terrible. It's just it it doesn't leave you in the place where, um, like, uh, I don't know. I don't know why you and I jenny like these downer books <laughs> but i do know that we like downer books <laughs> well i and know why yeah, i like them not, okay why do you like them? i like seeing what happens if something gets torn apart i like right. seeing what happens how they rebuild it because it would be a mistake to make it the same way it had been and in this situation they can't because there aren't enough men for every woman to have one anymore right. <laughs> so they have to have an entire new way of being Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I do like that part of it. I actually would have liked the book to go on a lot longer with that that stuff. It spent it, it's, so it's much a, time building up to it. You know, there is a lot of time building up to it. Um, I think it's pretty. I think it does a pretty good job. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of at the commune. I it's it's not a it's not a hippie commune. It's a I don't know. It's a working oh, commune. It's like a, it's a yeah. It's a farm commune. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's, there's a lot of interesting things that happen there with the, the thieving and the, and how to deal with the, the religious group that starts up, right? That's going to yeah. ruin everything. Well, and, they also uh, say that they learned how to avoid class distinctions. Right. So not well, just sex distinctions, but class right. distinctions. Yeah, class. So going back to that fashion thing, mm. Thrail's argument is that, um, women care about what other women think and they 
want to rise in class, right? right? So they want to dress above their class so that they can look better. And I, you know, I, I know people or women, I guess, who I, I asked one of my students, uh, or a group of my students this week, I said, what's the most famous handbag in the world? They all said this <laughs> exact same one. Louis Vuitton! Hmm. Right? Why? I said, is it a better bag? Like, is it just materials much better? Is it lighter? And no. Everybody wants a Louis Vuitton bag. And some people are willing to buy the fake Louis Vuitton bags because the real ones are so expensive. Because why? Because it shows that they are upwardly mobile. Maybe they are, you know, they can't be critiqued for having an ugly bag, Hmm. I guess, because they've got the popular bag. I think it shows you have the money to spend. It's a signifier yeah. of your class. Right. But, but you know, we we sort of think we're not in a class society oh. as much. As, <laughs> well, I mean, I, th- I think we're not in one as much as they were in the Edwardian area that the story is set sure. in. Um, but, but, yeah, it's, it's, it is, it's interesting because it's not, it's, it's also talking about men's, men are not being, the oppressors. We are oppressing ourselves. Everyone's oppressing themselves. The women are oppressing themselves. The men are oppressing themselves. If somebody stands up in parliament and says, women shouldn't be allowed to do that, he's oppressing women. Right. But uh, that's probably because of, not because he's thought it through, but because it's his feeling. Right. And Eileen, at the end, who was part of the royalty, so part of Mm -hmm. the suppressors i guess <laughs> she's the one who's learned so many things and she said that we weren't even slaves to intelligence and efficiency right. only to wealth and to money and to some foolish idea of position and power mm-hmm. so i think in her mind her successful society wouldn't have any of those things but at the same time the people who are surviving when the book ends are surviving because there has been some kind of strong educated or informed woman who has taken the reins, organized things and made it go. It's not a communal type decision that has happened. Well, I think they all, they all accede to this person, at least to a certain point. Right. But that's power. It is. It is. And I mean, the, the, the people who want to radically change uh, societies, they they tend to just let us run it for a while. We'll show you how it's done. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's well, animal well, farm, well, basically. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. And what every, I mean, this this is called a utopian book. Um, it's pretty funny, right? Because yeah. it's it's not really all that utopian. Um, and uh, first of all, everybody dies. That's pretty non-utopian. So once they get to the point where, you know, okay, we can stop looking at the dead bodies. Let's start remaking society. Um, it's still not very utopian, right? It's just sort of, um, let's deal with this sort of thing. Right. And I, I, I think that almost every dystopian book is a, or a utopian book is a dystopia for somebody. Um, the utopian dystopia thing is very much, they're bound up together. Yeah. And we have that conversation a lot because it's definitely mm-hmm. true. So, clearly for the mother, Mrs. Gosling, this is not utopia. <laughs> no, 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 no. She's, she's, she, she, but I think the younger people, they, um, they, they do okay. 
and the ones that survive, that is. Well, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure this ending. I think the ending is it. It really weakens the book, and maybe that is why it's sort of been less for, forgotten. Because it, at the end of Earth Abides, you know, you're sort of shaken. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, you've been you've been going along this journey for such a long time, and had all these horrible things and wonderful things happen, and and then it it it's you know gives you a really powerful punch at the end. At the end of this, he's like, oh, everything's going to be okay. Right, and it's kind of disappointing. It, the whole point is that the women have the power and the ability to take care of themselves, but mm-hmm. yet they come they come back and have saviors entering yeah. their port, basically. I, I don't think they needed a it. Sequel, if there's a sequel that says, you know, look at all these oppressive men or whatever, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, maybe that would... That would be okay, but yeah, I don't think there is a sequel. So. Well, right, and the question would be: Will that change the makeup of their society? Will they go back to their old ways because it's more balanced, or will it remain the way they've changed it? And I don't yeah, well, know. It, it made me think of uh, you know the War Bride phenomena, where all these Americans come over to uh, England and they start uh, marrying local ladies, and then they take them home. Right. Um, the 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 phenomenon in England is resentment, right? All the men are like, hey, they're stealing our women. <laughs> they're over here. They're full of money and they're young and they're handsome in their uniforms. I got to work on this potato farm. This is not <laughs> fair. Well, there's no men there or not very many men there anymore. Um, but yeah, I think when when the Americans come over, uh, that uh, Father Gosling's going to lose his status quite a quite a bit. <laughs> Yeah, and the other question that I have is, okay, this is working great because everyone who needs to eat is working. But when they start having children, which you get the impression that's what they're Mm -hmm. planning, um, someone's going to have to watch the children, which takes people away from the workforce at the same time that it adds mouths to feed. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's all these tractors and trains and cars just sitting around that had been abandoned. Someone's going to have to learn how to drive. (laughs) Somebody's got to turn the gas back on. Yeah, exactly. Those are the things that, like, why is no one thinking about this? There's there's a movie that I watched this week that um, I'd been waiting for a reason to watch it, and I I did actually find a good reason. And it's actually pretty interesting because it is sort of an inversion of this story. Oh, what is it? It's a 1980 uh, movie called Virus. Um, um, And it's got a subtitle that is something like... uh, the day after uh, a renewal or rebirth or something like that. And basically it's, it's the same story as this, except instead of killing all the women, it kills, uh, sorry, killing all the men, it kills all, almost all the women. And the reason it kills all the women is it almost kills everybody. But the people who survive are in Antarctica and the people in Antarctica are almost all men. Which is kind of interesting, right? <laughs> You've got a, a complete reversion of the gender ratio. So there's 800 men and eight women. Hmm. And um, it, it takes quite a while to get to that point in the story um, because the, it's, a, it's sort of a long, epic movie of the era. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that isn't, uh, and I guess that's true in this book too, there's a lot of stuff that isn't about about uh you know the the how to reorder society when you've got a gender imbalance hmm. 
like that. But when they do get down to the, you know, they're sitting around the conference table, you know, they've got a whole bunch of, it's every country in the world, you know, that's got a base in Antarctica. So it's Russians and Argentinians and the Americans and the Norwegians, and they're all sitting around the table and they're all discussing what are they going to do about this problem they have that they only have eight women and 800 men. Hmm. And right before, right before they, they start making their decision, though there's a, all eight of the women are in the room and one of them's been raped recently or attempted raped. And they said, this is terrible, but you have to understand um, we're going to have to change things somehow. And the women in the movie are like, well, we understand that, but uh, we, we, we're, and we're willing to go with it, but rape's not okay. Right. And it's like, Oh, this is, uh, pretty interesting. I mean, it, it, it has a, um, a sort of a thrill character as well. I mean, I don't think it's adapted at all. It, it's too far away from, from it, but it has the, the kind of, um, epic, uh, destruction of the, uh, people via, uh, a disease, a virus in this case that kills almost everybody. But the result is how do we reorder, uh, our society? How do we rebuild the world with everybody dead? Uh, and only eight women left. Biodiversity is not going to be very good. <laughs> well, except for those eight are probably starting out not related, and that helps a little bit. It's not as yeah, much as like post true. flood or whatever. <laughs> that's true, but yeah, you're going to hope there's a really good uh, obstetrician there, right? Right, and like the book by Karen Lord, The Best of All Possible Worlds, has that right. kind of story where the main planet gets destroyed and the only people people who would have descended from the same race, Mm -hmm. but they have the benefit of multiple planets to search down other people that they can mate with. (laughs) (laughs) I guess when something's said on Earth, that's just not really a possibility. No. Um, So, uh, by the way, that movie is free and it's public domain for some reason. Um, Day of Resurrection? Is that what it is? Day of Resurrection, yeah. Virus, a.k.a. Day of Resurrection. Is it subtitled or... Well, it's actually almost completely in English, which okay. is pretty interesting for a Japanese movie. Um, but the 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 non-English scenes are not subtitled. So you just have to sort of sit through them. And there's a few of them where there's, you know, some Germans and some uh, Japanese. Uh, there's a Japanese um, plot, subplot about the guy being sad because his girlfriend's dead or something. Hmm. I'm not sure because it was in Japanese and I'm not. I'm not a Japanese reader, so it's an speaker. interesting contrast to this book, though. It is. It, it's. It's. I mean, the tone is is quite different because it's a movie, and it. it I think I described it as um, uh, being kind of like On the Beach, which is a great book. I don't know if you read that. What was it? Also, it's called On the Beach. It's oh, yeah, uh, by Devil Shoot. Yeah, uh, which is about uh, I guess a nuclear war that destroys. The world, uh, and, and they know it's coming. Like, yeah, and literally the, on the beach, waiting to die. Right, and yep. so the this, I guess, it's a British ship goes to uh, North America to to test the atmosphere uh, to see if you know if there's anybody still alive in North America after this devastating nuclear war, and the the radioactivity is going to leak down into the southern hemisphere and kill everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, there's that. It's kind of half Earth, on the beach and half Earth abides, but it's also got this element with um, with uh, I guess goslings 
a sort of an inversion of goslings. Hmm. Go- gooses? <laughs> thought what it would be. Should we talk, well, it, should we talk yeah. about the geese thing? Like, is there anything yeah. to that? <laughs> I, yeah, I wonder. I mean, I, I can't, I can't imagine it's a, um, it's a, just an error. He just like accidentally picked a name. I think it, it is like, it's like, you know, the geese, goslings grow up. Right. right? And I was just kind of thinking about it, how most of the time it's the mother and father gooses. <laughs> I don't know what their official titles are. It's their job to show the children how to live. Yeah. And in this book, they certainly have not done that. They learn to fly on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they have to live in a different world than what they were raised in. Yeah. I, I assumed that was the meaning, but I don't know. I, I think, yeah, I think it's about growing up and, and, uh, I mean, on the whole, I think it's a pretty damn good book. I think the ending really undercuts it. But So should we talk about what the different daughters do, though? Because I think they, yeah, sure. they pursue different paths there for a while. I mean, yep. Blanche is always, she's the first one to really figure out that she's just going to have to do some work. <laughs> mm-hmm. She's the older daughter. Mm-hmm. And then Millie goes and lives with the um, the harem of women around that one man for a while, but then right. she comes back. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure I'd want to live in that society uh, <laughs> as either the man or the woman. But she had um collateral. Or the women, I should say. You know, cuz she had beautiful hair. So Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that there's there's that thing where the that guy rides through town, right? Mm-hmm. And his girl, his girl who's on him, the most beautiful girl who's on the coach with him, um she's like, "Get that bitch out of here." So. <laughs> if you stop, I'm gone. <laughs> That's right. I thought that was kind of funny considering that he was the only man around. <laughs> right. Well, it, it may be an idle threat, but um, I think that there's we're supposed to think that that's bad. I mean, with Thrail being sort of the, he's not actually, he's not actually asexual. He is heterosexual, um, but he's sort of, um, he's like, he, he, he's, he's pure, right? He doesn't. He doesn't want uh, sex from uh, the silly girls. Yeah, he doesn't it, want to suffer the fools. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's right. I, he wants he wants it to be pure, and so is is he having sex with anyone at the farm that he's working at? I don't think so. But I think near the end, he and Eileen are having that conversation. They go into a bush. Yeah, and I think that I think there I think there was some sex behind that bush. Yeah, I think it's implied that she has come to the same beliefs that he had, and that was what made her right have the potential to be his partner, mate, whatever. Yeah, um, because and, and she they wanted go back. Him. Right. Sorry. Yeah, and when they go back, um, the people are jealous. Right. Mm. The women are jealous. Um, but from but a they, very the, practical standpoint. Mm-hmm. The harem is probably going to be more successful in recreating a population <laughs> because they don't have the standards, the rules. That history is history is just a series of stories about the worst fucking people in the world. <laughs> all the all the successful, you know, I mean, you look at history; it's just bastard after bastard after bastard doing horrible. I'm not talking. I'm not talking. You know, actually, yeah, it goes. I I shouldn't use the word bastard. Asshole after asshole doing things, screwing people over and getting away with it. That's what history is. But uh, I, I think that I think that this is actually an interesting thing. And I want to go back to it. You know, that woman at the cigar shop calling, uh, was it Millie or was it Blanche? It was Millie. 
It was Millie. Mm-hmm. Okay, Millie, uh, a slut. She's she's not a slut. There's no men around. She's a young girl. She's probably fifteen, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Fourteen. She's 15. young. She's young. She's 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 approaching marriageable age, right? So she's young. And why does she call her a slut? Well, that's just traditionally sort of the insult word that women use for other women, I think. It was funny to read it in a novel from 1913, though. Exactly. I didn't think it went back that far. And it, it's, also, it's also like a, it's sort of much more harsh than the rest of the book. I mean, I guess the characters um, can be harsh, but they're, they're not usually said to be, like, they're not usually said to be harsh. So one of the, I, when I talk about the etymology in my classes about like words like, because they're teenagers, they like swearing, right? Say, say that bitch said something. Here. I said, well, bitch, that that actually means female dog, right? So the male equivalent would be a, a dog or a cur. <laughs> hmm. This is how I deal with swearing students, huh. and then and then um, I, I I say if you want to insult a, ma- a man, the traditional one is bastard. Right. And the reason is because that says your mother was not married to your father. That means you cannot inherit the estates. Uh, this is a grave threat to men because if there's a rumor that they are not legitimately a descendant of their own father, this could cause problems within the family. Blah, blah, right. It's blah. a term of unworthiness, just like slut right. right. Exactly. But notice the bastards are are what men are worried about and sluts are what women are worried about. Men are worried about having bastard children and women are worried about having uh, sluts near their husbands. <laughs> and in the book, uh, we've got the two. Well, I don't know if we have the two. We have, we have the, the, I guess, I guess that woman on the arm of the, uh, of the other the harem keeper, she would get slut. I, I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. There's only one guy. Right, I don't. I don't think that. <laughs> no, I guess that's not right. I don't, I don't know what she is, but yeah, I don't think the terms apply anymore because no, there's no marriage standard, and I think right. they have to rewrite everything, right? Right, and the whole idea of this religious sect not being successful. I mean, even if they hadn't been pushed out of the farm commune, they yeah. weren't going to be reproducing in any way, so they would have died out anyway. <laughs> Well, you know that's that's the thing is these these religious things do spring up like that and and they do find ways of um of growing even though they aren't doing that what they do is they they poach, right? They steal people from other other groups. Yeah, but when you're so very intentionally anti-sex then I don't know. Yeah. It's like the Shakers, you know, they didn't believe in uh, they sex. did die out, it's true. <laughs> and <laughs> they still have their furniture. Shakers around anymore. <laughs> oh, what happened to those guys? Um, but you know what? I think that that's a good tie-in because the the shaker phenomenon is kind of what's going on with Thrail as well. I think, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it, I think the sh- the shakers they were doing something. They they just thought it was too yucky, right? Is that what it was about? I don't know. Well, no, it was because they they didn't need to have children or waste their time because the rapture was coming. Like right in but their in what's their the underlying that right right. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Thrail was not religious, but mm-hmm. um, reading about J.D. Beresford, it said uh, he mostly was agnostic, and then uh, even though 
father was a minister or something. And then later on, his um, he becomes a uh, uh, a theosophist, which is again very much of its time. Absolutely, my, one of my favorite composers was one too, and he died in 1915. So I, I have no idea. Like I don't understand what theosophy is, and I've been studying it for a long time. I don't understand what people are thinking. Yeah, the, I'm not sure I know. It's sort of, <laughs> like, it's sort of like Eastern stuff is cool. I'm not, I'm not sure what they're going. Yeah, but like it. it was very popular in Paris, and so all of the intellectuals that came in and yeah. out of Paris studied with that one woman. And then Adam Blavatsky. Yeah, and then she, that kind of spread from there, and so it was also just kind of about being connected to the Paris intellectual life. Just became an element of that, as far as I can tell. Hey, listen to these. These are the three fundamental propositions expounded in the Secret Doctrine, uh, which is Blavatsky's teachings. One. There is an omnipresent, eternal, boundless, and immutable reality of which spirit and matter are complementary aspects. It's a sentence. I don't know what it means, but it's a sentence. Number two, that there is a universal law of periodicity or evolution through cyclic change. Hmm. That sounds like it could be true if I knew what it meant. Number three, that all souls are identical with the universal oversoul, which is itself an aspect of unknown reality. Hmm. Okay. I don't know what that means either. (laughs) I have no idea what those things mean. But people, they hear it and they like it. Or they did. I, I I don't know if there's any theof- theosophists left. Yeah, but they probably just call themselves different things now. <laughs> probably. It, it may involve crystals. It may not. I don't know. Well, and I think that was around the same time, right, when people were getting into having the seances again. And, I mean, if, yep. if it ever went away, I'm not sure. Well, no, I think seances have, have passed. Uh, I mean, we've still got the Ouija board game, but... No, I mean back then. Yeah, kind of no, fit into that same culture. Yeah, I mean it's it is, and that goes back to the church anti disestablishment bill, right? Right. The this this breaking up of um, the traditional beliefs at the end of uh, uh, the 19th century is. Do you think it's caused by you know everybody going to school so they can learn to work in factories? Is that hmm. what caused that? What do you think? Well, maybe, and just people wanting to make their own decisions for their life instead of being told. Yeah, but they would have wanted to do that throughout all of human history, right? So, but when you ha- it's the rising middle class, though. Yeah, I think that, that might have to... Yeah, it's more people... I mean, if you look at what's happening in the 19th century, it's newspapers, newspapers, newspapers. Mm. Right? Everybody's reading. Information, then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, did you hear how much uh, they were offering him, Thrail, to write, write, write stuff? They were t- offering him tons of money. Hmm. In fact, everybody in this story was pretty rich except for the, the girls. Right. right? They, they wanted like three pounds, and their, their dad makes, was it, 46, 46 pounds a month or something like that, and the, their rent for their place was like, uh, I think... It was like 80 pounds or something like that. So, like, he has tons of disposable income. And he wanted to give them five pounds for their party. Right. Yeah, he was, <laughs> he was, he was really bad at, at, at negotiating, right? They knew how to get, they, the, the, it's interesting because all these social negotiations that everybody's always doing at the time, like about, you know, let's, you do this, I'll get you to do that. It's all for social activities. 
And then once the water gets turned off, none of that stuff works anymore. You can't write to the newspapers when everybody in the newspapers are dead. Right. And no women know how to run the presses, right? <laughs> because that's a man's job. Yeah, I guess the one thing that kind of surprises me about that, thinking back, is they were pretty clever with their dad. You know, they kind of, oh, yeah. they weeded him into saying something like they should get married. And they're like, well, if we're going to get married, mm-hmm. we have to look good. But you don't mm-hmm. really see them having negotiating ability later on. And that would be no. interesting because you'd think it would transfer. <laughs> well, it does. It does. Um, I mean, everybody gets to know their own family pretty well. And they know how to push buttons and stuff like that. So when when you get out into the real world, uh whether you can push other people's buttons or not probably depends on what kind of family you had. Yeah. Um, but but the the thing is, is when the hard truth comes, right, when there's no more water, there's no more food, um, the, those buttons don't get pushed in the same way because people are, are not focused on. I mean, we spend most of our time these days worrying about what somebody said to someone on Twitter or, uh, you know, whether Jean-Claude Van Damme is really uh, standing between those two vans or whatever it is that is Maybe happening. Maybe you do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's, that's, what, uh, that's what people are, I mean, how many fields have you plowed today, Jenny? <laughs> I haven't plowed any. I grow my own vegetables. <laughs> okay, well, then you win. <laughs> when when the when the apocalypse come, I'm gonna come live with you. If you, you know, can get here, be upstairs and direct <laughs> direct you from my upstairs room. I'll shout out the window. More more beets, <laughs> less kale. <laughs> I think about that sometimes. Like what you know, because you have all these um, preppers now mm-hmm. that are always preparing for the upcoming apocalypse of doom where they need to survive on their own. And we even have these billboards in my state of um, this gun place where they, they kind of couch it that way. Like, are you prepared? Do you know how to shoot a gun? <laughs> well, that's, that's, you know, yourselves, right? Right. I think my only skill is um, that I can kind of garden kind of, and I can kind of cook. So those are good skills. I'll have to wait for the society to like settle down a little bit and hide out until people are not really killing each other anymore. <laughs> you need like a seed bank is what you need. I do. I don't know, like a little drawer full of seeds with everything labeled and and uh, a farmer's almanac or something to tell you when to plant. Yes. Although, you know, that recently shifted. This past year, they changed all of the planting zones. Oh, did they? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that'd be due to global warming or something. Right, so if there was some kind of nuclear war, that would change everything, so you wouldn't actually know. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be planting beets and kale in uh, Antarctica. Yeah. Well, those two things might actually grow there. There are only two flowering plants in Antarctica. Oh. <laughs> it's interesting. Antarctica is full of life, but it's all almost all animal life, mm-hmm. right? Or at least the edge of it is. And under the ice. I was just looking at um, what we're reading for next week, and it's it's mm-hmm. written two years later. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so that'll be a really nice contrast to see what a woman thought. <laughs> I agree. Um, should, should we mention that um, we talked about the audiobook from Dreamscape, but that also this book's free in the public domain to read online, too. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.